Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones, back here this morning on Sunday, October 29th, here to break down what was a very busy Saturday across the world of Purdue athletics, and certainly not the day that many Purdue fans had hoped for. Purdue football came off its bye week, headed up to Lincoln, Nebraska, a program it's had some success against in recent years, but Purdue struggled mightily, falling 31-14 to against the Cornhuskers. Meanwhile, on the hardwood, fans saw Purdue basketball in its first official, first official exhibition game, meaning it doesn't really count. Uh, but Purdue goes down to Arkansas, plays in a very high-level basketball game, falls 81-77. to Certainly a lot of reactions to that across the internet today. Certainly plenty of thoughts on football to be had. Let's get on into it because there's a lot to talk about. If you don't already, though, be sure to follow along on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. There is a ton to talk about uh, throughout the weeks in Purdue Athletics now. We have football with a month to go. Basketball is getting going. Football recruiting with signing day coming up. The transfer portal. Lots to talk about. You're going to want to be sure you're following along at Boilers Beyond. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your episodes. It's all gas, no breaks through the end of basketball season. Be sure you're following along for the ride by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. But I want to start with football today. I know that's probably not what most of you were hoping for, but I'm a football guy at heart. Uh, I would It's football season until it's not for me, and it's still football season, so... Let's see what, uh, let's talk about this. So Purdue comes off its bye week against a Nebraska team that is incredibly limited. Nebraska came into this game averaging well under 200 yards passing per game, really not demonstrating any ability to throw the ball on a regular basis. It's got a good defense. It can run the ball fairly effectively, but as I said, This was a game Purdue should win. In an absolute bare minimum, this is a game Purdue should have looked good in. Purdue did not win. Purdue did not look good in this game. This game was over pretty quickly. You know, the first series of the game was an omen of how the afternoon would go for Purdue. Nebraska fumbles the opening kickoff. Purdue recovers. It gets a, you know, gets the ball in real, real nice field position inside the 40. Purdue starts going backwards. There's, you know, Hudson Card drops the ball, literally, on Purdue's first play. There's a holding penalty. Then Purdue sets up a 4th and 11 deep shot that gets overthrown. It it didn't make a lot of sense to me, and that was really a microcosm of how how the afternoon would would go. You know, Purdue comes out in the second half down 14-0, Forces a fumble, gets the ball at the 13-yard line, and instead of Purdue scoring, Nebraska scores when a field goal is blocked and returned all the way for a touchdown. Purdue tacked on a couple touchdowns late. The offense got on the board. Hudson Card to Jaden Dixon-Veal on a nice play, uh, the best offensive play of the day. Kadron Jenkins finishes a great game with a forced fumble that he scoops up and returns all the way for a touchdown. But, you know, it didn't ignore the reality that this game was 24 to nothing in the third quarter and was completely over. 
this was not a game Purdue was really all that competitive in. There was that glimpse when it was 24 to 14. You thought maybe, you know, if you're getting real optimistic, maybe Purdue's got a shot here. It didn't. It, Purdue onside kicks, doesn't get it. Nebraska scores to make it 31-14, and that was that. I think, look, I don't want to get too hot takey here because that's not really my MO on this show. But if you are looking for things that are really concerning about the program as a whole, you know, under Ryan Walters in year one and just where things are headed, I thought coming off a bye week looking like a better team would be a really good step in the right direction for that. And instead, this was probably Purdue's worst offensive effort of the season. You know, there's a lot of talk about Graham Harrell. There's a lot of talk about Hudson Card. But as a whole, this offense is a problem. You know, you, let's look at it here. Let's look at what Purdue did. You know, Hudson Card goes 16 for 32 for 100 yards, 100 yards flat, a touchdown and two picks. 100 yards on 32 attempts, I mean, that's three yards per attempt. That's not good. That's not close to good enough to what Purdue needs for this offense to be successful. You saw, again, Purdue's lack of weapons at wide receiver get really showcased. Garrett Miller leads Purdue with five receptions for 26 yards, 38 yards for Jaden Dixon-Veal, 29 of those come on one play. Deion Burks, just two catches for eight yards. This wide receiver room, and I guess as a larger point, this pass-catching room, it's not enough. Uh, Garrett Miller does some nice things. He's a nice athlete, but we saw some plays that could have been made that weren't made. The wide receiver core, it is what it is. It doesn't have a whole lot of needle movers out there. The offensive line continues to be a problem. You know, Muhammad Musa comes into this one able to play at left tackle, but he gets dinged up very early on in the game. Jalen Grant goes down at right tackle. He ended up, or right guard, excuse me. He ended up coming back in the game, but Purdue, Purdue's in a spot now where we'll see what Muhammad Musa's outlook is, but it's quite possible that you're going into the last month of the season without your two starting tackles, and your next game is against Michigan. Whether they know what play's coming or not, it's a great defense. So Purdue's offense is in a really tough spot here. The running game isn't great. You know, Devin Maccabee, just by looking at the stat sheet, seven carries for 42 yards, that's solid. But there's another fumble in there. That's now seven fumbles on the season for Devin Maccabee. That's a problem. You know, I don't know what percentage of this to put on Graham Harrell and what percentage of it to put on simply personnel. Because there's certainly divided blame to go around here. Purdue's game plan for this was interesting. Uh, Purdue was going with a ton of short passes and a few deep shots here. Purdue didn't try to stretch the intermediate game at all. Against a 3-3-5, I get it. That makes some sense. But when you try to go in the short passing game and you don't have guys who are a threat to create yards after the catch, you're really limiting what you can do. And with the deep shots... They're not, they're not hitting. 
there was the one early on in the game when Andrew Swinsky's wide open downfield, Hudson Card underthrows it by five to ten yards and it's picked off. We saw another one where he had Deion Burks, the ball's overthrown. Uh, there was another underthrow at one point. It, it's just not clicking. It's not clicking. And, you know, I, I tweeted out that I thought it was a really interesting look to give Bennett Meredith a shot in the third quarter there when Purdue was down 21 nothing. I learned later that Card was in the medical tent. He, he got dinged up, came back in on the next series. Look, i got to be honest here. As, as Purdue heads to Michigan, it's not a fair game to give Bennett Meredith a bunch of run in because Michigan is really good. But, man, I would not hate seeing more of what he can do later this season. Purdue's got to know what it has at quarterback heading into the transfer portal cycle. And it needs to know that on the day the portal opens. Or, for those of you who are a little more cynical out there, a couple days before the portal opens. Hudson Card has not been what I think folks hoped he would be. It's not that he's been horrible, because he hasn't been. That wouldn't be a fair, a fair thing to say, but he has not lived up to some of the expectations here. Uh, that much is very much true. What Bennett Meredith can do, I don't know. I don't know whether he's someone that the staff uses an eventual starter. I don't know. I'd like to see more of what he can do in games because at this point, Purdue's playing for next season a bit. And right now, Hudson Card, eight touchdowns to seven picks, completing under 60% of his passes for under 215 yards per game. That ain't good enough. That's not going to cut it. Purdue needs better from its offense if it's going to compete, especially when you look at next year when you get four teams added to the conference that are all very offensive-minded. That's a big problem. Again, going back to the Graham Harrell thing, I got a ton of emails, a ton of DMs about Graham Harrell here. Right now, it's not working. Whatever's going on on offense is not working. The question can be asked, what does work when you are limited personnel-wise? I don't know. Purdue went all in on this this quote unquote air raid thing, and it's not it's not an air raid like that's not what Purdue is doing here, but whatever it is, it, it's not it's not clicking. Purdue gave Graham Harrell a big contract. Uh, he's getting you know it's like three years, two point eight million guaranteed. It's like one point nine million is left on his contract after this season, something like that. I would be utterly shocked if Purdue paid that kind of money to fire an assistant coach. I've been wrong before, and you never know, but that would be a first for Purdue. And Purdue typically tends to be very conservative when it comes to these things. If Ryan Walters is all in on Graham Harrell, then you're going to see him come back. If he's not, then I think that's a bit of an indictment on that hire uh, because that I mean, that's the biggest commitment Purdue's ever given to an assistant coach in school history. To punt on that after year one would not be a great look. That would be a big, big problem for Purdue. Not the biggest deal in the world, but that would not be a good look. Uh, you'd have to ask some questions about that one. 
all in all, the offense really struggled. And that's the story here. I thought the defense looked fine. You know, Nebraska hit a big play and it had a big drive in the first half. But as a whole, under 300 yards of offense, you know, 73 of the 122 pass yards for Nebraska came on one play. The defense played fine. It forced turnovers. It had nine tackles for loss. It had three sacks. Purdue recovered four fumbles on the day. One of those was on special teams. But, look, Purdue played well. Kydron Jenkins had a really nice day, as did Nick Scorton. I feel like a broken record with those two because they're the ones that stand out on defense, along with Dylan Thieneman. Those three played well. I think we can say those are the three guys on defense who really move the needle for you. The rest, eh, it's a, it's a mix or match group. It's not been great. Uh, Sanusi Kane had a fine day. He was solid. But as a whole, look, you can only ask Purdue's defense to do so much. It gave Purdue's offense prime real estate on the first down in the red zone at the 13-yard line. Purdue squanders it. Uh, that was the only time Purdue found the red zone all day, even. You know, that's something you have to point out. The offensive touchdown came from 29 yards out. Purdue did not Purdue did not find its way on its own into the red zone all day. And that's an issue. Um, that's an issue. I don't know where Purdue really goes from here. You know, you got Michigan next week. It's an uphill battle. Michigan Again, everything going on up there, it doesn't really matter for this game. Uh, it's going to be an overmatched Purdue team. It's 10 o'clock right now, so the point spreads will come out here soon. I suspect Purdue will be around a 28-point underdog. Not great. It's a night game in Ann Arbor. It's going to be a rowdy crowd. You know those fans are pissed off about what's going on up there. Uh, they feel like they're, you know, they're, it's a witch hunt in their minds. So it's going to be a tough atmosphere for Purdue. You're playing for next year now. You're two and six. You know, I've gotten some messages. Is two and 10 the most likely outcome here? Lord, um, I don't know. I don't think so. Minnesota, N Northwestern, and Indiana are still all very winnable. But Purdue has to show improvement somewhere. And I think it's fair to wonder if that improvement's going to be shown after it had two weeks to prepare for this game. And really did not look like it at all. Um, making sure I didn't answer any questions. You know, one one question I got here, and then we'll get to basketball from a longtime listener, was, you know, Virginia Tech and Illinois, the two teams that Purdue has beaten this year, both seem to have improved every week. And on the flip side, Purdue has not. He asked whether I attribute this to injuries, lack of depth, or some other factor. I mean, probably all of the above here, right? Injuries haven't helped. There's a huge lack of depth. And really, there's a lack of high-end talent. Those go hand-in-hand. Hand, but Purdue doesn't have difference makers on the first deep, on the second deep, on the third deep. That's a problem. And some other factor... Look, it looks like a first-time coaching staff right now. It looks like a very young coaching staff. That's okay. You did not hire Ryan Walters so that Purdue could be just stellar in year one. It's a long game hire. There are going to be growing pains. But 
right now, you're in the midst of that. You're really feeling it. So Purdue has a month to go in the season. We'll see what it can do. Again, right now, the mood that's coming out is apathy. I've seen that word a lot on Twitter, on message boards, message to me. That's dangerous. That's really, really dangerous for Purdue. You've got to try to find a way that fans are not apathetic going into next season. Because once you lose the fan base, it's done. We've seen that with Danny Hope. We've seen that with Daryl Hazel. I'm, I'd be, you know, I'd be going back way too far for my personal recollection before Joe Tiller, given that I wasn't alive. But there was a lot of apathy in the 90s before Joe Tiller got around too. Purdue has to fight that. Because once apathy sets in, it's over. All right, the topic you guys have all been waiting for here. Let's talk about Purdue basketball. Obviously, Purdue goes to Arkansas for a charity exhibition on Saturday. Um, falls 81-77. to 77. First off, this, is, this was big time for Purdue to play this game. You know, I'm old enough to remember when exhibition games were just two games against, you know, a D2, D3, NAIA, and then you roll into the regular season. Then we moved into the secret scrimmage era where teams would play, the stats would get leaked, yada, yada, but you don't see the game. This was a whole different story. This was, now I'll say I didn't exactly listen to the whole game on the TV broadcast, I was trying to multitask and definitely watching more football than I did basketball. Um, got a good amount of both in, but you know, this is a game in front of 19,000 people per the official stats from Arkansas. This was a really rowdy crowd. Every time I turned on the volume, uh, it, it sounded pretty legit there. Um, Arkansas is a preseason top 15 team. So you go on the road at a top 15 team, just in general, if that's the case that Arkansas is a real top 15 team, that's a hell of a challenge. We see that in college basketball every night. That's a huge challenge. And there were ups and downs. You know, Purdue, a lot of the conversation is that it's the same old Purdue because Purdue didn't shoot great from three. Purdue had too many turnovers. Okay, I mean, that's a fair observation to make because Purdue did have too many turnovers. Purdue missed too many threes. But things don't switch overnight. You know, Purdue's not magically going to be night and day better than it was last season when it's just been practicing against itself for a while now. It can't really simulate what a team like Arkansas can do where it has the more athletic, in-your-face style defenders, a lot of isolation basketball, a lot of stuff that you don't see a ton of in the Big Ten. So I guess I'd pose this question. Would you rather Purdue face this now and start getting, you know, start playing against it, start getting better from it, or just not play it, and then the tournament comes that everyone you know, keep saying it's the only thing that matters, and then it gets thrown into a situation like this against Arkansas. I think Purdue's a much better team because it played this game. And I'll remind you, it doesn't count. Purdue didn't lose anything today. Purdue didn't, you know, the season's not over. 
this game doesn't even count. You know, Purdue goes out and plays Grace College on Wednesday for another exhibition game before things get going. You know, this is the first time, though, of this season, and this is something that Purdue can really take away from this. It was a real rowdy atmosphere. I don't know how many like that Purdue will go into this year. 19,000 people in an arena. Arkansas has got a very passionate fan base against, uh, you know, a top 15 team. Purdue may not face an atmosphere like that all season. Indiana, obviously, will be rowdy. It'll be fired up. We'll see how good of a team Indiana is. But the rest of the Big Ten, you're not going to get a ton of atmospheres like that against a quality of team like that. That's big time. You know, that's something that Purdue can really take away from. Um, you know, let's look at this. Zach Eady got his first experience of being the reigning national player of the year. You know, Arkansas defended him very tough. You got the overrated chance going from the crowd. That's going to be coming all year for Zach Eady. That's that's just reality. You better may as well embrace it now because that's going to be coming all year long. It's not true, but it's going to be coming all year long. I thought Purdue, early in the first half, you could tell that Purdue was treating this thing like a scrimmage that did not count. Purdue was rotating a ton. I don't have like the synergy lineup data in front of me or anything, but man, Purdue had to have 10 different combinations of players on the court in the first half, it felt like. Maybe 10's a stretch, but it rotated a ton. Uh, it was clearly playing around with different combinations, seeing what works, what doesn't, as you should in a scrimmage like this. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, we saw the first look of Trey Kaufman, Ren, and Zach Eady playing together. It did not go particularly great. I thought it looked a little clunky at times. I thought it was a little awkward. Trey Kaufman, Ren has a ways to go as a post-entry guy. And that's really critical if you're going to play alongside Zach Eady. I'll say that with the caveat that it's good Purdue is trying it. And I don't think it should be abandoned just after one game. I don't think that's a fair way, you know, a fair way to evaluate things. But it did kind of show that you need someone to enter the post better. It was awfully telling to me that late in the game, you know, when Purdue was in crunch time of this one, it was Mason Gillis at the four. I thought he had a nice day. Um, he had a poor pass to Zach Eady on the last possession of regulation, but he hit some big shots to bring Purdue back in at 13 points, six boards for him. That's a pretty good day. Uh, he, he looked the part of an experienced senior veteran for the majority of the day. Something you want to see. I thought you saw some real positives from Purdue's sophomore guards, albeit with some negatives. Braden Smith right away looked very aggressive compared to last year looking for his shot. And that's something that I've kind of said I thought would be the case, something I think is a really good thing for Purdue. Now, they didn't all fall. He had a couple of big shots early on, went a little colder as the day progressed. He did have seven turnovers, probably tried to do too much at times against what's a good Arkansas defense, an aggressive Arkansas defense. But again, that's part of the learning process. Game one of sophomore year is not the end point. Um, that's, that's just reality. I thought there were positives there for him. And with Fletcher Lawyer, he hit some really big shots in the second half when Purdue needed him to. 
He looked comfortable again driving to the basket, something we didn't see as much of late in the year last year when he might have been hampered by an injury. That was a that was a good development for Purdue. Those two played solid games. Those two are going to be very critical for the success of Purdue's team this year. I would also say uh, Lance Jones in his first action. You know, you can look at the box score and see two for eleven shooting, and that's that's not a great day. I don't know that Purdue wants him to be the guy who takes the second most shots on the team, but again, a one-game sample size is really difficult to make judgments on. It's way too early for that. Um, I think he looks the part of someone who can who can play a good role on this team, whether it's as the third starting guard or a guy off the bench. Time will tell, but I, I think he looks the part of a good addition. Let's see, what else here? Uh, I did. I was a little surprised to see Brian Waddell and Miles Colvin not get more run in this game, but I think it tells you where Purdue is right now. Um, again, as I've said, you know, you can only you can only play nine, really, when you get into games that that matter. You can try to squeeze ten in there. If you try to squeeze eleven in, God bless you. Purdue was really at nine in this game. You had the starters, you had Mason Gillis, Caleb First, Cam Heidi, and Ethan Morton. And then Colvin and Waddell get a few minutes early in the first half, not much else. Look, Miles Colvin's the guy that everyone wants to see. Uh, he's athletic. He has a long way to go. You saw that on defense especially. Uh, you saw a turnover where he wasn't in the right spot. I'm not trying to nitpick here. Uh, I'm not trying to like come out as having a personal vendetta or something. But it's a long way to go for him. It's a massive jump from the level of competition he played to playing against number 14 Arkansas on the road. That's a huge jump. That's something that Purdue's going to have to figure out this year. Um, there's talk whether he redshirts or not. I Let's talk about that next week after we see the exhibition, after another week of practice. That would be one like Trey Kaufman ran two years ago that comes out of complete nowhere that no one expected. But at the end of the day, maybe it's realistic. I don't know. I do think folks may need to pump the brakes about saying that, you know, there's no way he's at Purdue for four years. He has a great athletic ability. He has great talent. But projecting a guy to be an early entrant NBA draft pick, I mean... Uh, let's pump the brakes there. Um, it's entirely possible, but let's let's see it happen first because, uh, I don't know, that seems like an awfully big bridge to jump to so far. Um, you know, as a whole, this is going to be a season where Purdue is criticized for every negative event that takes place and receives very little praise when it does something well. That's just the reality of being preseason number three following an early exit in the NCAA tournament last year when you have a fan base that's as starved for a Final Four as Purdue is. That's reality here. That's something that Purdue's going to have to deal with. Purdue got some weaknesses shown to it early on, weaknesses that probably aren't surprising. But nonetheless, in games like this, it's not always the worst thing to lose. You're able to get your weaknesses exploited. This was a game Purdue almost won. You know, Zach Eady has a dunk that doesn't fall towards the end of regulation. 
And then the dude from Arkansas hits a really tough three over Morton and Zach Eady. And then Purdue, you know, kind of squanders its final possession. If that doesn't happen and Purdue wins this, you know, you're talking about an entirely different narrative where Purdue overcame some turnovers, some poor shooting, Zach Eady foul trouble, and it wins a game in a real hostile environment on the road. And it's an, it's a different narrative. It shouldn't be because the game doesn't matter. It doesn't count. But that's reality here. And it shows how, how narrow the margins are in basketball sometimes. Uh, Purdue's a much better team for playing this game. This is this is stuff that you can't simulate in practice. This is stuff you can't simulate against Grace College. As much as I love my hometown of Warsaw, Indiana, you can't simulate this against Grace College. So a really a really solid foundation point for Purdue here. Um, you know, if this is Purdue's floor, 20 turnovers, 29% from three, and it loses by four in overtime against what appears to be a pretty solid team on the road, this is going to be another good year for Purdue. This is going to be a really good team. I'm not going to be the one that's, you know, ready to hit the panic button after an exhibition game loss. Um, you know, let's just see where things go here. But it was good to have basketball back on the TV. Uh, it's going to be an exciting year. We'll be talking about it all here on this show. Um, yeah, I don't know there's much else to say. So that's all I've got for today. Thank you for spending time with me. Please, for the midweek show, send in any questions you have, football or basketball. Let's talk about it all. Uh, tweet it to me, at Boilers Beyond. Email it to me, boilersandbeyondpod at gmail.com. We'll preview the Michigan game. Might try to do it right after the Grace College exhibition game on Wednesday. That might be decent timing. Uh, maybe I'll do it Tuesday. I don't know. We'll see. Send over questions to me, though. Uh, I will talk to you guys then as we move into the final month of the football season. Until then, guys, enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy your week and take care.